Welcome to the Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be talking about detoxifying the body and reversing disease on a raw food diet. To get this longevity party started, I'm going to give you guys a really brief rundown of what a raw food diet is. And later, we'll be talking with our expert for today, the incredible Dr. Baxter Montgomery of Montgomery Heart and Wellness. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. And don't forget, share the love. Send this episode to someone who you think will enjoy it or someone who you know needs this information. So I am super excited about today's show. Those of you who have followed me since my blogger days, shout out to the original followers of rawgirltoxicworld.com, know that at one point I was a complete 100% raw foodist, hence the title Raw Girl in a Toxic World. And I maintained that for around two to three years. I now eat mostly raw, but I do incorporate cooked food. But I have seen and felt the difference for me personally and in my own body when I mostly eat foods that are full of life force. So what the heck is a raw food diet? Well, a raw vegan diet is a lifestyle that excludes meat products and consists of only eating fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds that are not cooked above 118 degrees Fahrenheit. Some raw foodists are semi-vegetarians because they choose to include dairy into their diets. Preparation of raw food includes blending, soaking, fermenting, marinating, sprouting, mixing, dicing, and juicing fresh fruits and vegetables to create meals. Raw foods that are sprouted or fermented are considered living foods that contain active enzymes, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and phytonutrients that nourish the body. When foods are blended, it makes them easier for the body to process and digest. And there's a wide range of blended meals that you actually can incorporate on a raw food diet, including soups, smoothies, sauces, dips, dressings, and puddings. For the raw foodist that is always on the go, blended foods are your BFF. They're essential because they take little or no time to prepare. Because raw greens and vegetables often have coarse leaves and can be difficult for the body to break down, marinating is key in making them more digestible. Often, this is simply achieved using oil, unrefined salt like Himalayan sea salt, and some form of citrus or acidic medium like lemon, lime, or even apple cider vinegar. Then you use your hands to apply heat, and the vegetables are broken down and all ingredients are massaged into the greens, making them flavorful and easy to consume. Anyone who has ever had a salad that I prepare, my salads have turned the non-salad eating person out, has experienced the magic of marination. Dehydration is the raw food substitution for baking. It allows us to experience some of the same textures we may miss from cooked meals, but with all the enzymes and nutrition intact. So you can actually make crackers, cookies, loaves, burgers. I've even made raw dehydrated pancakes, breads, spices, dried fruits, and more in a dehydrator. It's also a really great way to preserve and store your food. 
So the issue is that not everyone can thrive on a 100% raw food diet for a myriad of reasons, including digestive issues, food allergies, their body's need for warming foods, especially in colder climates, and the overall sustainability of the diet when you're in social situations or traveling. But our guest expert today has demonstrated through his clinical work and research that the numbers don't lie. Eating raw even if it's just for 30 days, can significantly reduce inflammation in your body and help to reverse disease. Today's guest is Dr. Baxter Montgomery. He is a board-certified cardiologist with years of experience in the latest medical practice and nutritional health. He is a clinical assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Cardiology at the University of Texas in Houston, a fellow of the American College of Cardiology, and the founder and president of the Houston Cardiac Association. Having seen many patients suffer the consequences of chronic heart disease, Dr. Montgomery founded the Montgomery Heart and Wellness Center in 2006 with the mission to reverse and prevent life-threatening illnesses. Located in Houston, Texas, the Montgomery Heart and Wellness Center is a state-of-the-art wellness facility complete with all of the technology and resources to provide comprehensive medical and wellness care. Combining his medical practice with a food-driven lifestyle intervention, which includes a grocery store and a restaurant that offers raw foods, Dr. Montgomery introduces patients to a novel food classification system that helps reverse chronic conditions such as heart disease, hypertension, obesity, and diabetes without medications or surgeries. He has refined this process over the past 10 years with profound, positive results in severely ill patients. Dr. Montgomery earned his undergraduate degree from Rice University in Houston and his medical degree from the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas. He's also the author of The Food Prescription for Better Health, a comprehensive guide for reversing chronic illnesses. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to talk to you. I feel like what you're doing is just, it's phenomenal. And I, I, I think more people need to know about it. And um, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and I'm also really curious about your personal journey. Like, how did you end up, how did you end up becoming a doctor that integrates nutrition into your clinical practice? Like, how did you get to where you are now? What was the driving force? Yeah, question. It's, you know, often I'm asked that question and, as I think about it more, I think my answer becomes both more refined and convoluted at the same time. Mm. You know, I, during my training, you know, I decided to become a doctor, I think in ninth grade. And, uh, it it was a process that evolved from, okay, at ninth, and I was in ninth grade. So I want to be a doctor. And the strange things is, you know, Another kid in my class says, I want to be a doctor if they make $90,000 a year. And I said, well, I want to make $90,000 a year, so I'll be a doctor too. So <laughs> it, it started something as <laughs> crazy as that. Uh, <laughs> and it evolved over time. So, you know, I, it, you know, once I decided at that point, there was never any second thought. It was just, okay, it's going to happen. So, you know, and, and in undergraduate, you know, I, you know, majored in biochemistry at Rice and then, you know, decided on medical school. I went to University of Texas Medical Branch in Houston. I mean, here in Galveston, rather, in, in the state of Texas. 
So in medical school, I think I, I didn't decide on my uh, specialty until it was really the summer and second year. And I'm taking you through this process because the part of the process of becoming a plant-based doctor sort of, you know, kind of created a momentum, if you will, from early on. Mm. And and so the, the summer between first and second year, I did research and I worked in the lab with a biochemist and having been a biochemistry major, you know, it was attractive in that sense. And uh, the work he did dealt with the preservation, myocardial preservation mechanism, biochemical mechanism, myocardial preservations. And so did some interesting work there. And we collaborated, the lab rather collaborated with a, the lab, basic lab of a cardiothoracic surgeon on faculty there. So uh, I became exposed to cardiothoracic surgery and cardiology from a basic science research perspective. And it interested me enough to say, hey, I want to go into cardiology. Mm. So when I made that decision, it was, again, you know, make that decision. And there was no second thought, second guessing. So when it came to the time of applying for residency positions, I applied for internal medicine, knowing that that was just a step towards cardiology. Mm. So that was a process, and I applied for internal medicine. And I think it was around my second, during my second year, so my first year as a resident after internship, I remember presenting a case of arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. To, child, uh, I don't even know what that is. Dr. Mark Estes, huh? <laughs> I said, child, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, basically, it's a, it's a, it's an abnormality. It's a cardiac degenerative process that mm-hmm. typically presents as fatty degeneration of the right ventricle. Okay. And it's a progressive form of heart failure. It may be an immune mediated process, but the electrophysiology group deals with it because oftentimes these patients will have fatty infiltrate of the right ventricle in either in the early phases of heart failure or even before they have heart failure, mm. it can be an arrhythmogenic substrate. So for instance, oftentimes there's like a fatty infiltrate in the right ventricle. And before you have left ventricular heart LV dysfunction or even right ventricular LV dysfunction, you just have this focus that predisposes you to sudden death. These individuals can have ventricular arrhythmias but then the natural progression of the disease state is that of heart failure. Mm. So back in those days, you know, defibrillator uh, implants were implanted primarily if you had sudden death twice, really, a risk of sudden death. But anyway, we had an individual that was at the VA hospital when I was doing my rotation there, and he was a 60-year-old man, which is a little bit unusual for that presentation age-wise. And uh, he was on the treadmill. He started. He went into ventricular tachycardia, and so they picked that up and. The echo showed a bleb on the right ventricle. His ejection factor is normal. And so it was a very interesting case. And so as a resident, I, mean, I pull all the data together. And Dr. Estes was a well-known electrophysiologist who was friends with our chief of, uh, of medicine at the uh, chief of the hospital at the VA. He was from, T- Estes from Tufts and this other one's from Mass General came uh, in our facility. So he invited him for grand rounds. So that was one of the cases we presented. So I was the resident that presented the case in front of the whole body of house staff and all. Mm-hmm. So I was fascinated with that, you know, disease state. And as that was the time I wanted to go, not only did I decide to go into cardiology, which I had decided in medical school, but then I decided to go into cardiac electrophysiology. So before I was even in my uh, fellowship training, I decided on my sub-subspecialty. Mm. And uh, I say all of this to just kind of give you an idea that 
this process of making these decisions just came based on, you know, clinical experience and life experiences. Hmm. And so these experiences, you know, again, perpetuated my, my professional decisions. So as I got into, you know, did my electrophysiology training and, and what have you, I left uh, my cardiology fellowship, electrophysiology fellowship, and I didn't work for anyone. I, I immediately hung my shingle and just started practicing, mm. which is somewhat unusual at that time. Mm. Uh, but anyway, I did it. And during my cardiology fellowship training, you know, I always developed, I had developed rather the interest in uh, wellness. And so my vision of wellness was, you know, cardiac rehab, exercise, so some element of nutrition, but I did not, at that time, I had not really refined my thoughts in terms of what that meant. Yeah. What I, what I envisioned was having this practice that had a pretty booming wellness component to it. And I envisioned having patients, you know, in the practice, you know, come in on a regular basis, walking on treadmills, maybe gaining IV fusions, you know, doing nutritional things and so on. But uh, the thoughts were not quite crystallized at that point. But anyway, fast forward through my training in private practice. I had a very busy private practice. We're seeing, you know, patients in the, the Houston area. Unlike many other markets, uh, it uh, lends itself toward physicians being in solo or small groups. And I was solo at the time. Mm. And I collaborated with other physicians who were solo. And I did general cardiology and cardiac electrophysiology. So I was taking a emergency room call at hospital, seeing patients in the middle of the night, having massive heart attacks, doing emergency calves. Center for surgery, center for angioplasty, uh, implanting defibrillators, doing uh, electrophysiology ablations, flutter, AV and RT, WPW ablations, you know, implanting. I mean, it was a pretty exciting early part of my career. Very busy. I did nuclear stress and the like and had a very successful practice. However, there was always looming in my back mind that, hey, we're going to do something with wellness. I started doing some research on nutrition. I had a patient that came in around a lot of supplements, and he was seeing some uh, herbalists. In fact, I got with my nurse practitioner. We went to business herbalist to find out exactly what she was doing. Hmm. So I had an open mind, and there was a, a natural inquisitiveness about you know this stuff with supplements and the like, and I wanted to learn about it and so on. So that was an evolving process. I started experimenting with different diets. I was reading books in the late press mostly because that's where it was, you know, about, you know, the maker's diet, diet for your blood type, and metabolic processing of diet, and so on and so forth. And so this was a process that I developed over time, a level of, of you know, learning that I sort of dealt with on the side of my major practice. Now, uh, a number of things happened. My mother had taken ill. And, and one thing about living and uh, practicing uh, medicine in the, the, the city you grew up in, uh, somehow people you know become your patients. I mean, that's anywhere from professors. I remember doing heart cath and electrophysiology procedure with professors who wrote my papers for you know medical schools, wow. relatives who I saw. And so it's kind of a strange thing, but it, it, it at least from my experience, it happened that way. And so. I had a number of family members who had been ill and had taken care of them. And my mother had taken ill. And I remember uh, when she was diagnosed with some, initially diagnosed with some dizziness and a neurologist sent it to me. And, and so, but I felt it was neurological. We did a CT of the brain and saw that she had a meningioma. So I was dealing with her illness over time. 
at the same time I was, you know, becoming aware of this alternative approach to helping people's uh, health improve. So at that time, it was supplements and what have you and herbal things. Mm-hmm. And my mom had been ill for about a year and 10 months. And that's a story in itself, which I won't get into the details of that. But she eventually died in the hospital in my care. Oh, wow. And I learned some very important lessons mm. by managing her care along with physician colleagues of mine. Mm. And I'll share a few of those things down the road. But the point is simply this. At that time, my interest and knowledge in these areas was growing. Mm. Uh, at the time she was ill, I started looking at supplements and I learned some of the benefits of those things. After she died uh, was when I started reading about plant-based nutrition. And actually, by some strange reason, I took a class, a weekend class on um, raw food preparation. So it was a crash course. I became a certified raw chef. Wow. So becoming a certified raw chef, I learned a lot about plant-based nutrition. Uh, I learned about a local person in the Houston area who did juice feasting detox. So I met with him and this gentleman, uh, John Rose is his name. And we met for about, we talked for about six or eight hours the first time I met sitting in a whole food uh, area. And uh, he seemed to know everything about food. I mean, I'd never met someone who had read so much and he wasn't, a, he didn't have a formal medical background. Mm-hmm. This is all self-talk. Mm-hmm. So I bought him one of his little courses. He he did uh, this training course. He, he coached me through a juice feed for 30 days. He wanted to do 90 days. I did, ended up doing just 32 days. My mind was set on 30 days. I did 32 days. And I, I, I went through an amazing experience with that personally. And at, at that point, I said, okay, I'm going to stay with a plant-based diet. I started applying this to patients, you know, one at a time, writing down diets and things. And, and I'd put them on raw food salads and smoothies and what have you. And I just saw amazing results in seven to 10 days. Wow. And one thing led to another that evolved to a process where we were doing patients a month at a time. The news media got a hold of what we were doing, you know, presented some of this on, on air. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. You know, it became a large explosion. Uh, I think the news story got such a large response locally that they then shared it with about 12 affiliates nationwide. Mm. Um, and then other, you know, Fox News uh, channel that did it. And so the affiliates nationwide aired it. And somebody in D.C., not D.C., but somebody in uh, Atlanta had devoted, recorded it, and then put it on YouTube. And I didn't even know that until I got a call from someone in California. So at that point, we started to explode and became known on the national scene. People at PCRM reached out, and Neil Bernard sent mm-hmm. a letter, and some other people at uh, Colin Campbell sent a letter. And and again, it that's where we sort of really ballooned onto the scene, and we started our programs then, and, and the rest, you know, all from there. That's an amazing journey. I think that most people who truly end up like being healers, <laughs> it, you know, whatever, whatever modality they've practiced through, but the end of being healers usually go through a personal experience. And it sounds like you had, that's right. Definitely had that that's moment. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've no, had that right. moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So walk us through, you've been doing this detox, this raw food detox with patients for like, is it over a decade now? Um, gosh, 
probably 16 years we looked at wow. when I started, 15 to 16 years when I started doing it informally. That's when my personal journey started. And when I saw personal benefits, I started applying to patients shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. In the early days, it was really just uh, me in front of a patient writing down specific diets that they follow. Was, I mean, I would put them on a raw detox. I mean, it wasn't a matter of make changes to start moderating or whatnot. I mean, it was really hardcore. And mm. so so I would have someone with heart failure. One example is a lady that came in with congestive heart failure. Mm-hmm. And she was, I think, in her mid-60s. She had diabetes, heart failure, hypertension, hyperlipidemia. And she had just been discharged from the hospital. We saw for the first time she was referred to as by a PCD. And her husband wheeled her into the exam room. I'll never forget. She was on oxygen, head sort of leaning to one side. And I looked at a medication list. It was about 21, 22 medications. And, you know, I looked at her and I looked at the list and I thought to myself, I mean, you know, am I going to add medication 24, 25 or whatever? But mm. so I asked them, I said, do you have a juicer? And they said, yes. <laughs> and of course, you know, that age group, I think, was influenced by the old Jack LaLanne. Yeah, uh, those those old school things. ones. <laughs> exactly. So they had that Jack LaLanne juicer. And so, you know, I don't think they were doing much with it. But to make a long story short, I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. And I said, I want you to prefer to stop eating. I want you to just drink raw juice every day. And I wrote down some re- juice recipes and all. And gave it to them and said, you know, do this and come back and see me in 10 days. Not made a few medication adjustments. And I kid you not, she came back on the follow-up visit 10 days later. Mm-hmm. No wheelchair, walking, talking, no oxygen, uh, feeling much better. Wow. That was an example of cases I saw on a regular basis. Mm. And what I would do is I would start them on the regimen and I would see them within 7 to 10 days. What that did, that allowed for either full compliance or very near full compliance mm. because they knew that in seven, and I didn't tell them what was going to happen after seven. Right. I said, come back in seven to ten days. Right. Doing? And usually they would get just beyond the detox reaction and started feeling better around that time. And then we would say, let's go another seven days, another 10 days and so on. And, and then we would, you know, work our way into a process. So it didn't have a very formal process at the time. But I was developing an experience, personal, first, you know, along my, my personal experience, along line with patient experience. And the protocols we use now, including the food classification system, really uh, was developed out of that evolving experience dealing with mm. one patient at a time mm. and observing that clinical response uh, to that diet. Because my situation was um, unlike most. I had patients were very, very sick. Mm. Uh, there was even one patient at the uh, ICU at a long-term acute care hospital, which it was a small one, which I happened to be medical director of, and we were able to do some unique things with her, and we detoxed her. She had a peg tube. She, was, uh, she had chronic obstructive lung disease. She had uh, heart failure. had implanted a defibrillator, and her kidneys started to fail in the hospital. Mm. And the family did not want dialysis, and I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's try this. And so I explained to them, we, we put uh, uh, super juices and super greens uh, drinks through her pension. And wow. I moved her off a lot of medication. I stopped the uh, elemental dietary stuff, you know, food. And I just gave her green stuff through the pack. And she detoxed. She put out copious amounts of 
uh, mucus through her lungs, uh, and she eventually walked out of the house. Amazing. And um, but again, we just saw amazing results. Mm. And so it was a process where I had this raw implementation of this, you know, nutritional program. It had very little to no structure to it, but it was amazingly successful. Yeah. And so my mindset at that time is that I have to figure out how to make this work. Mm. Uh, it wasn't a, can I make it? I don't think I can make it. There was no doubt to it. It was like every other decision I made in my career. Mm. When I made decisions, I was going to be a doctor, there was no doubt after. I made decisions, I was going to go into cardiology, no doubt after. Those who were going to electrophysiology, no doubt after. When I made decisions that this is going to work in my practice, there was no doubt after that. Explain now, it was a rocky people, road, it still is, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Explain to people who don't understand why in the world would raw foods cause such dramatic and amazing results. What is it about the power of raw foods that's actually um, helping people achieve these results? Yes. Well, what I'll do is, uh, first and foremost, I'll, I'll share what our clinical data is, because we've published yeah. uh, in the literature... Uh, uh, findings, and, and not only that, we, we collect data. So what we do in my practice is that we um, we place people on raw diets, but we, we collect their, their lab data. I mean, we follow them clinically very closely, the same way I would if I prescribed the medication, mm-hmm. the same way I would if I uh, did a procedure, uh, the same hemodynamic data we collect, the same biochemical data we collect, I collect with food. So the same medical and science approach I take, we use of food. And so the answer to the question, broadly, several things we see. Uh, inflammation is reduced and reduced in a major way, and it's reduced very quickly. Mm. Many disease states, and what many people don't think of, well, let's look at a heart attack, for instance. Um, one of the earlier descriptions of a heart attack from a pathology standpoint was that a heart attack is a is an acute inflammatory reaction. It's like um, similar to people are used to having a gout flare. Mm-hmm. And there's an acute flare up, there's an acute inflammatory reaction. Well, most disease states, especially uh, decompensation of most chronic diseases, whether it's heart disease or heart failure, et cetera, these are acute flare ups of a chronic underlying inflammatory condition. Mm. Uh, it's almost like the analogy I frequently use is that if you have uh, uh, barbecue coals, uh, being from the state of Texas, we know about barbecue, and you get the coals where they're simmering and smoldering. Mm-hmm. And so you have a smoldering fire, but if you take some lighter fluid and spray it on the coals, you get a flare up of, of fire, fire. You know, the, the flames will flare up. Yeah. And that's sort of like a, an acute flare up uh, of the coals. And inflammation is like that. Most people live with a chronic inflammatory state that's like smoldering coals. But if you do something to trigger a flare-up, like spray lighter fluid on the coals, then a flare-up, a flame would come about. Mm. And that's what happens when you have an acute decompensated state. So if somebody's having increased inflammation, it only takes something to trigger it to create a flare-up. If you reduce the inflammation, you reduce the chance of a flare-up, and you improve the patient's overall chronic condition, also decrease the, the chance of having acute decompensated condition. So inflammation is important. Yeah. Uh, and so we measure inflammation. We do it simply by using C-reactive protein. 
Mm. We also use other inflammatory markers, IL-16. So one way of diet, which we've shown, helps the raw diet in particular is a decrease in inflammation. And we've seen a decrease in inflammation by more than 30% in just four weeks. Wow. Um, individuals that we've seen, individual drops as much as 70%. But that's the biggest drop that we've seen. And this has been data we've seen over hundreds, even thousands of patients. We put the data and consistently as a 30% reduction in, in inflammation. So that's one thing. Yeah. We have hemodynamic data that shows, especially in our patients with hypertension mm-hmm. and also heart failure patients, is that it decreases the resistance of flow through the circulatory system. Mm. We call it a systemic vascular resistance. But when you go on a raw diet, it helps dilate the peripheral vasculature. And in patients with hypertension cardiovascular disease, it improves cardiac output and stroke volume, which is the amount of flow of blood through the body. Mm. by decreasing the resistance of that flow. Mm. And so that's one thing we've been able to measure and show scientifically that reduction in resistance to flow is one of the biggest changes we see hemodynamically when we look at the hemodynamic uh, components of cardiac uh, function, Mm. cardiovascular function. And so those two things from a cardiovascular standpoint are really important. Now, the inflammation is important across other disease states. It's important from the standpoint of diabetics. It's important from the standpoint of people with inflammatory disease like arthritis uh, and other conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it may have important roles in people with you know, hepatic dysfunction and other you know, disease states, too, as we know that inflammation is, is kind of a common denominator among chronic disease states. Chronic lung disease, we've had a number of people with chronic lung disease that have decreased in inflammation, and we've had a, a, a handful of patients where we've seen whether they require oxygen and we detox them. Mm-hmm. And we see them progressively go from needing oxygen and not needing oxygen to, have, to being oxygenated very well with exercise where they were hypoxemic at rest at baseline. And it's amazing. we know that there's an inflammatory process in the lungs that's improving over time. This is all this is all really amazing. One thing I struggle with sometimes with patients or even with other practitioners where I'm trying to intervene on behalf of a patient is that they don't understand that uh, a little bit can do a lot of harm. Um, so right. it, it sounds like basically you're just you're stopping the bleeding by removing all of these things and going straight to let's detox this body. That's right. I have a saying, not a bite, not a drop, not a crumb. <laughs> and uh huh. No, that's good. Yeah. And so in our boot camp classes, you know, in fact we even chant it sometimes. <laughs> uh and I emphasize not a bite, drop a crumb of anything on the do not eat list. Mm. And when we put them on raw, we put them on hundred percent raw. Mm. Now the approach we take is for the mindset that the patient frequently is addicted to certain foods. Mm. So the Traditional thought process is if somebody, say, come in and eating chicken fried steak and fried chicken and pizza every day, mm-hmm. maybe we have them cut back, have a meatless Monday or something like that. And that's reasonable, I guess. But if you're really trying to turn someone around, you have to put them on total abstinence. You know, mm-hmm. alcoholics should not be told to drink martinis once a week. Right. <laughs> not a bite drop, a crime of alcohol, you don't even sniff it. Right, right. Uh, and so that's the way you do with the, the baked chickenaholic or the pizzaholic or whomever you're dealing with from a clinical standpoint. Yeah. No, and that's so good. we take it to the next extreme. I'll put them on raw foods because, you know, raw foods create some distance 
between that baked chicken. So for instance, oftentimes, you know, this say I put them on a vegan diet. Mm-hmm. And we all know that there's some unhealthy vegan food. So maybe I say, okay, put it on a whole food, plant-based vegan diet, and, mm-hmm. you know, no oil and so on and so forth. And that's reasonable. However, you know, you can cook the beans and greens, but that's not too far distant from the cooked foods that has animal protein. So in order to change the biochemistry, change their taste buds, mm. we found it helpful to put them on 100% raw. No, it makes sense. Uh, now, everybody's different, but we find that for most of our patients, within about 30 to 60 days, if they stay consistent on the raw diet, they develop some amount of, you know, distaste for the other foods they used to like. It's not 100%, mm-hmm. but they develop a greater tolerance for eating healthy plant foods. That's number one. Mm-hmm. And they develop a progressive intolerance for the bad food. Amazing. And you have to detox them periodically over time to continue to improve that tolerance of healthy food and, and intolerance of unhealthy food. That is, uh, this is amazing. Um, the work that you're doing is just so awesome. And uh, what you're doing, the fact that you have a, um, you know, a grocery store, a restaurant, a clinic, they're all tied together. I really feel like it's something that should be replicated <laughs> everywhere, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, but if you could articulate what you'd like to see for the future of preventative care or how you could expand on what you've already created, what would you say? What our vision is, uh, is the following. Uh, we, we have a food prescription approach, which gives some level of uh, accuracy in terms of what we're telling people to eat and how they prepare the food. Mm-hmm. So at the basic level, uh, is not only enough to say eat plant-based, but where do you procure the food? How do you prepare the food, et cetera? And so we think of our approach to nutrition, not so much as a given diet, A, B, or C, which, you know, again, is some aspect of it, but is really the manipulation of nutrition to bring about a certain health outcome. Mm. By that, what do I mean? So if someone comes, and, and I'm answering it this way to get into the other aspects of the kitchen, restaurant, supermarket. So for instance, someone comes that has severe systemic inflammatory disease. Based mm-hmm. on our experience, we know that we have to put that person on a raw diet for an extended period of time. Mm. So if I just say to the average person, raw fruits and vegetables only, it's like, okay, smoothies and lettuce. <laughs> right. Okay, that's fine. The problem <laughs> is that that's hard to sustain over time. Mm. And I learned that very early on. So then we need to create a process and a support system to help them achieve that success. That's yes. where the restaurant comes in. That's where the supermarket comes in. That then creates an environment within the clinical setting Yes. that that person can rely upon to do it. And so we have developed meal plans, grocery plans. And we're working on an online program to then be able to disseminate this in a broader scope. Love it. So through that online process, uh, people, because we develop a patient uh, base slash clientele that's nationwide. And we've had a few people internationally come and see it, uh, just based on, you know, some of our stuff that's been published online. So we're working on a digital process to support them in the structure. And then we're working on the food process because 
one thing I found in recommending a nutritional regimen, it's hard to get that followed because uh, for them to follow that because it's something that is not replicated in our current market. So we have to develop that market. Mm, yep. Where can people find you online and, and how can they join if they want to join um, your raw food? Detail? Yeah. So our, our website is MontgomeryHeart.com. Mm-hmm. That's MontgomeryHeart.com. They, all, they can also Google my name, Baxter Montgomery, B-A-X-T-E-R, Montgomery, M-O-N-T-G-O-M-E-R-Y, and they can find me online. But the best way is MontgomeryHeart.com is our website. And the, to go to our digital wellness center, the first components are built and ready to go, which is uh, online.MontgomeryHeart.com. Mm-hmm. So online, one word, .MontgomeryHeart.com. That's the best way to find us. And the, the online program, the digital boot camp, that's really the core of everything I've talked about. Mm. Uh, if they go into that boot camp, uh, we call it a boot camp, and we did it on purpose because the, the traditional use of a boot camp word is, is, is that you know, it's an intense period of exercise, typically with military people, to, to jumpstart their physical fitness status. Mm-hmm. But we're using it from a nutritional standpoint, mm-hmm. and we use it as an intense a finite period of time where you accelerate your nutritional excellence to bring about an acceleration in biochemical and physiological uh, improvement of your health. Love it. And so that boot camp. And so in that digital program is the online detox where the person from the comfort of their home with by themselves or with a group of family members can go on and find out, go through the whole process of all the components, things that we've developed over 16 years that's scientifically sound. And we actually put some of the articles that uh, the boot camp has downloadable recipes. It has a uh, scientific uh, publications. So it shows a lot of things I've talked about here and it walks you through that whole process. So you, with that video, they can walk through and detox. Of course, we advise them to, you know, coordinate uh, their efforts with their physician. Mm-hmm. There's also a 30 day maintenance component, which helps them break the detox and come into a maintenance diet, which is less rigid than the detox diet. Uh, and they can use that detox approach intermittently over the course of several years, uh, once a year, twice a year, however they, much they need to do it. This should be part of a regular health maintenance program. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Baxter Montgomery. You are amazing. Um, thank you for all the work that you do and the research you've done. I feel like you are a shining example of what a doctor should be. Well, great. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And, um, you know, I hope this is helpful to your listeners and, you know, look forward to the next time we get a chance to talk. Awesome. Okay, y'all, normally we would take questions from Instagram or email, but today we are out of time. But remember that if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs, respond to the call for questions via my profile at The Raw Girl, or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. All right, it is time to close out the show. Hopefully this show has inspired you, especially if you are someone who is struggling with a chronic condition, to see that what you put on your plate can significantly impact whether or not you will live with that disease for the rest of your life or reverse it. You choose. 
Today, we gave you one dietary intervention in the form of raw foods that you can implement even for 30 days and get real results. The research numbers do not lie. If you know you need a change or your body is in need of a detox, I challenge you to act on the information that you got here today and set a plan in motion for a complete diet overhaul. Trust me, it could save your life. The numbers of people prescribed medications with no expiration date these days lets us know that we are in a crisis, people. A health crisis that can be solved if we each take responsibility for our own health. Today, I want to leave you with a Gambian proverb that says, Before healing others, heal yourself. That's what I had to do. That's what our guest today did. And I hope that if you are not well or if you are not living with the optimal health that you desire, you will recognize that you have the power to change your circumstances. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you are looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, go on and find me on Instagram at The Raw Girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. And for more about the show, visit our website, stayingagelessshow.com.